0: chapter fifteen of gossip in the first decade of victoria's reign by john ashton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter fifteen death of scott the american diver prince albert's ducking monster cheese the boy jones Tracks for the times tract ninety earl of cardigan flogs a soldier on sunday dispute as to the discovery of electric telegraph sale of shakespeare autograph the census astley's burnt behaviour of gentlemen the first bit of gossip of this year was the tragic death of sam scott the american diver who was born at philadelphia and at an early age entered the american navy his extraordinary courage and prowess as a diver rendered him very popular and after quitting the naval service he travelled about the union exhibiting he subsequently visited canada and made some tremendous leaps from the banks of the st lawrence and the lakes which intersect that country but his chef-d'oeuvre was leaping from a precipice below the falls of niagara where according to his own statement he jumped the amazing distance of five hundred and ninety-five feet into the water which he accomplished without injury or inconvenience he was performing in england in eighteen thirty eight and came to london in the latter part of eighteen forty and we now hear of him as issuing a challenge to the world for one hundred guineas monday next january eleventh eighteen forty one and during the week samuel scott the american diver will run from godfrey's white lion drury lane to waterloo bridge and leap into the water forty feet high from the bridge and return back within the hour every day during the week between one and two o'clock there stood about eight thousand or ten thousand people assembled to see the feat which was to be performed from a scaffolding overhanging the river here he swung by a rope noose round his chin and afterwards with his head downwards and one of his feet in the noose he then again hung suspended by his chin but the noose slipped and he was hanged in sight of all that huge crowd this fatal accident created a great impression at the time i do not know the evening paper from which the following small beer chronicle is copied into the times of twelve february but it purports to be an authentic account of an accident to prince albert it appears that his royal highness was walking in the royal gardens in company of her majesty the only attendant present being the honourable miss murray one of the maids of honour in waiting upon the queen it not being understood by colonel bouverie and lieutenant seymour that his royal highness intended to skate they were not as usual in attendance on the prince who had left the palace with her majesty without their knowledge after walking for a short time with the queen on the margin of the lake his royal highness put on his skates and left her majesty who remained watching the movements of the prince from the gardens he had not been on the ice more than two or three minutes when as he was proceeding at a rapid rate towards the spot where the queen was standing and had reached between three or four feet of the water's edge the ice suddenly broke and instantaneously he was immersed head over ears in the water his royal highness immediately rose to the surface when her majesty with great presence of mind joined her hand to that of the honourable miss murray telling her to stand firm and to betray no fear and extending her right hand to the prince dragged him to the shore her majesty manifested the greatest courage upon the occasion and acted with the most intrepid coolness as soon as the prince was safe on dry land the queen gave way to the natural emotions of joy and thankfulness at his providential escape the prince then lost no time in proceeding to the palace where a warm bath was immediately prepared and his royal highness within an hour afterwards was sufficiently well to receive the king of the belgians upon his majesty's arrival from clermont the ice in the centre of the lake being nearly a foot in thickness some surprise has been created that the accident should have occurred but it appears that the keepers appointed to attend on the numerous and various aquatic birds which are preserved in the gardens of the palace had broken the ice along the sides of the lake to enable them to take the water during the frost these portions had again become slightly frozen over since they were broken at the early part of the morning this was unknown to the prince or the queen and hence the accident occurred there was no person present at the time connected with the gardens to point out his danger to his royal highness yesterday morning the prince was suffering from the effects of a slight cold but beyond this his royal highness has sustained no inconvenience on the tenth february the princess royal was christened on february nineteenth, the queen had a monster cheese presented to her on which occasion she was pleased to express her satisfaction it was made from the morning's milking of seven hundred thirty-seven cows prepared by the labour of fifty dairy-women at west Pennard, Somersetshire, and it weighed eleven hundredweight it was octagon in shape and its upper surface was decorated with the royal arms surmounted with a wreath of roses thistles and shamrocks unfortunately although it had been made over two years it was not considered to be fit to eat for another eighteen months the irrepressible boy jones prison evidently had no terrors for him for no sooner was he liberated from tautil fields on 2 march than he almost immediately set to work to repeat his former escapades on the day previous to his liberation he was visited by mr hall a magistrate who tried to persuade him to go to sea but jones made certain conditions which could not be acceded to and he did not go this gave an opportunity for the satirist to come out with the following appropriate lines the impudent urchin whom sure the devil owns and government wants to send into the navy will not go to sea and tis cunning of jones who thus may avoid his relation old davy he was then delivered into the care of his parents with strict injunctions to them to watch his actions and for some days his conduct was unexceptional he frequently attended a methodist chapel and expressed his intention of joining a teetotal society but the charms of notoriety were too strong for him and again he was drawn as it were by a magnet to buckingham palace indeed it possessed such attraction for him that when required to pledge himself before leaving prison not to visit the palace again he said he would not promise as his curiosity was so great on fifteen march shortly after one a m the sergeant of police on duty at the palace imagined as he was going along the grand hall that he saw someone peeping through the glass door and this turned out to be the case for on his approach jones ran up against him and was of course immediately secured in consequence of his previous visits two extra policemen had been appointed whose duty it was on alternate nights to watch all the staircases and interior of the building and it was owing to this arrangement that master jones was stopped early in his career on this last occasion like most boys jones had a keen appreciation of a feast all the more enjoyable because irregularly come by and when he was arrested he was found to have been sitting at his ease in one of the royal apartments regaling himself with some cold meat and potatoes which he had conveyed upstairs in his handkerchief on being questioned how he obtained an entrance his reply was the same way as before and he boasted moreover that he could at any time be pleased to get into the palace but he was extremely taciturn and refused to satisfy curiosity more particularly on this point what he confessed at his examination by the privy council is not known as the proceedings were in private reporters being excluded and the public were left in possession of only the above bare facts he persisted that the only motive for his intrusion was to hear the conversation at court and to write an account of it but this plea of simplicity did not save him from a repetition of his old sentence of three months imprisonment in the house of corrections with the uncomfortable addition this time of hard labour perhaps the best punishment for this juvenile edition of paul pry would have been that suggested by the satirist in the following paragraph as the urchin jones in a letter to his father stated that his reason for entering the queen's house was to seek for fornoose in order to write a book it is a matter of general regret that instead of magnifying the affair into home-office importance the young rogue was not accommodated with a rope's end his visit however necessitated the appointment of three additional sentries at the palace what became of him afterwards nobody knows and nobody cares but one thing is certain he was persuaded to go to sea and punch born seventeen july devotes a page volume one page forty six to the boy jones log a portion of which is as follows this melancholy reflection threw me into a poetic fit and though i was very uneasy in my stomach and had nothing to write on but my chest i threw off as follows in a few seconds and arterherds sung it to the well-known hair of willie riley oakum to me footnote the nautical way of writing o come to me printer's devil oakum to me ye sailors bold what ploughs upon the sea to you i mean for to unfold my mournful history so pay attention to my song and quickly shall appear how innocently all along i was inveigled here one night returning home to bed i walked through pimlico and twigging of the palace said i'm jones and in i go but before i could get out my boys policeman twenty a he caught me by the corduroys and lugged me right away my cuss upon Lord Melbourne and on Johnny Russell, so that forced me from my native land across the waves to go, but all their spiteful arts is wane, my spirit down to keep. I hope I'll soon get back again to take another peep to follow chronology compels me to turn suddenly from gay to grave topics in september eighteen thirty three newman commenced the tracts for the times which according to its advertisement had the object of contributing something towards the practical revival of doctrines such as the apostolic succession and the holy catholic church which although held by the great divines of our church have become practically obsolete with the majority of her members keble and others joined him at once as did pusey as soon as the state of his health permitted together with nearly all the advanced thinkers at oxford these tracts issued from time to time Caused a mighty upheaval in the church of england which was known as the tractarian movement the effects of which have lasted to this day as may be witnessed in the vast extension of church building the larger attendance and more devout behaviour of congregations the brighter and more ornate services which are so great a contrast to the general sleepiness both of pastor and flock which then existed some of these tracts went farther than people were as yet able to follow they were strong meat for babes and the publication of tract ninety by newman on the thirty-nine articles brought things to a climax and on fifteen march the vice-chancellor and the heads of houses met to censure the publication they came to the resolution that modes of interpretation such as are suggested in the said tract evading rather than explaining the sense of the thirty-nine articles and reconciling subscription to them with the adoption of errors which they were designed to counteract defeat the object and are inconsistent with the due observance of the statutes of the university they only expressed their opinion which was all they could do but newman avowed the authorship of the tract and whilst he was still unconvinced of his error he wrote i am sincerely sorry for the trouble and anxiety i have given to the members of the board and i beg to return my thanks to them for an act which even though founded on misapprehension may be made as profitable to myself as it is religiously and charitably intended at this time neither the writers of the tracts nor their readers had any intention of severing themselves from the church of england their sole endeavours were to wake it from the torpor into which it had fallen and had there been any tolerance on the other side such men as newman manning and others would have been kept to the church for they merely enunciated doctrine and practices which are now almost universal the old flintlock brown bess was still in use in the army, although percussion arms were introduced in 1840. But we read, 13 April, that the exchange of flint for percussion cap guns to the army will cost this year a hundred and thirty thousand pounds. That amiable gentleman, the Earl of Cardigan, was still making himself notorious. This time it was flogging a soldier on Easter Sunday after church and the very first question asked in the house of commons when it met after the easter recess was by mr hume relating to it mr macaulay replied that whatever other imputations there might be cast on lord cardigan a disposition for the infliction of corporal punishment was not one which could justly be thrown on him from inquiries which he had made he had found that since eighteen thirty nine up to the recent case there was not an instance of the infliction of corporal punishment in this regiment the charge however for which he was justly liable to public censure was the immediate infliction of punishment on a sunday after divine service such a proceeding was clearly contrary to the religious feelings and habits of the people of this country and could not be reconciled with either good sense or good feeling lord hill the commander-in-chief only felt surprised at lord cardigan's conduct but the times of twenty four april had a most scathing leading article on the subject winding up with we trust some independent member of the house of commons will take an early opportunity of cutting the gordian knot and move an address to the crown for the removal of the earl of cardigan from the lieutenant-colonelcy of the eleventh hussars Footnote he put up for election at the senior united service club was balloted for on sixth june eighteen forty when out of a hundred and ninety four balls a hundred and sixty six were black End note. the electric telegraph being now a fait accompli the honour of the discovery was disputed between cook and wheatstone both claiming it it was settled by arbitration the referees being mark Isambard brunel the eminent civil engineer and professor daniel the inventor of the galvanic battery which bears his name and their solomonian judgment was as follows while mr Cook is entitled to stand alone as the gentleman to whom this country is indebted for having practically introduced and carried out the electric telegraph as a useful undertaking promising to be a work of national importance and professor wheatstone is acknowledged as the scientific man whose profound and scientific researches had already prepared the public to receive it as a project capable of practical application it is to the united labours of two gentlemen so well qualified for mutual assistance that we must attribute the rapid progress which this important invention has made during the five years since they have been associated on twenty four may was sold by auction an undoubtedly authentic signature of shakespeare attached to a deed thus described in the catalogue shakespeare's autograph affixed to a deed of bargain and sale of a house purchased by him in blackfriars from henry walker dated march tenth sixteen twelve with the seals attached the poet is described as william shakespeare of stratford-upon-avon in the county of warwick gentlemen and the premises thus all that dwelling-house or tenement with the appurtenance situate and being within the precinct circuit and compass of the late blackfriars london sometimes in the tenure of james gardiner and since that time in the tenure of john fortescue gentleman and now or late being in the tenure or occupation of one william ireland or of his assignee or assignees abutting upon a street leading down to puddle wharf on the east part right against the king's majesty's wardrobe part of which said tenement is erected over a great gate leading to a capital messuage which sometime was in the tenure or occupation of the right honourable henry now earl of northumberland the deed at the commencement is stated to be between henry walker citizen and minstrel of london of thone party and william shakespeare of stratford upon avon in the county of warwick gentleman; william johnson citizen and vintner of london john jackson and john hemming of london of uh, t'other party and that the property was absolutely sold to all four their heirs and assigns for ever the deed is regularly entered in the rolls court sir f madden continues the catalogue states in his observations on the autograph of shakespeare in florio's translation of montaigne's essay which was sold in eighteen thirty eight there are five acknowledged genuine signatures in existence exclusive of the one which forms the subject of this communication of these three are attached to his will in the prerogative court executed the twenty fifth march sixteen fifteen sixteen the fourth is written on a mortgage deed dated eleven march sixteen twelve thirteen of a small estate purchased by shakespeare of henry walker in blackfriars and the fifth on the counterpart of the deed of bargain and sale of the said property dated ten march sixteen twelve thirteen and speaking of the last sir f madden says at page fourteen what has become of this document a query which the auctioneers say is answered of these six signatures three to the will are in doctor's commons two of them much injured by the hands of the lovers of shakespeare the one in montaigne's essay is now in the british museum what has become of the mortgage deed is quite unknown this then is the only autograph of shakespeare ever likely to be offered for sale after many and very animated biddings it was eventually knocked down to mr elkins for a hundred and sixty five pounds fifteen shillings these two deeds are now in safe keeping one being in the british museum the other belonging to the corporation of the city of london the authenticity of the signature in montaigne's essay is open to discussion at the same sale was sold the shakespeare cup made from the mulberry tree said to have been planted by shakespeare carved on the sides with a medallion of shakespeare and his coat of arms this was for nearly thirty years in the possession of munden the actor and it realised twenty-one pounds in the british museum is a beautifully carved casket made of the same wood which together with the freedom of stratford-on-avon was given to garrick by the corporation of the town in seventeen sixty nine the decennial census which began in eighteen o one was according to the act three and four vic c twenty nine taken of the number of individuals who slept in the respective houses in each parish throughout england and wales on the night of sunday six june scotland the channel islands and the isle of man were also taken but ireland was not and the following return includes only such part of the army navy and merchant seamen as were at the time of the census within the kingdom on shore england males seven million three hundred and twenty one thousand eight hundred seventy five females seven million six hundred seventy three thousand six hundred thirty three total fourteen million nine hundred ninety five thousand five hundred and eight wales males four hundred and forty seven thousand five hundred and thirty three females four hundred and sixty three thousand seven hundred eighty eight total nine hundred eleven thousand three hundred and twenty one persons ascertained to have been traveling by railroads and canals on night of sixth june males four thousand three females eight hundred ninety three total 4896 scotland males one million two hundred forty one thousand two hundred seventy six females one million three hundred seventy nine thousand three hundred and thirty four total two million six hundred and twenty thousand six hundred and ten islands in the british seas males fifty seven thousand five hundred ninety eight females sixty six thousand four hundred eighty one total a hundred and twenty four thousand seventy nine total eighteen million six hundred fifty six thousand four hundred fourteen on eight june astley's amphitheatre was burnt down one life being sacrificed and causing a monetary loss of over thirty thousand pounds this calamity so affected the proprietor, Mr. Ducrow, that he lost his reason, and died soon after, on 28 January 1842. Here is another little story of the behaviour of gentlemen in those days, copied from the Times, 11 June. Windsor, 10 June yesterday evening there was a large party consisting of the officers of the sixtieth rifles and several of the first life-guards at the mess of the infantry barracks in sheet street in consequence of several promotions which have recently taken place in the rifles occasioned by vacancies caused by the decease of the honourable colonel molyneux the festivities of the evening were kept up till past twelve o'clock when a large party sallied forth for a spree they first proceeded to the extensive canvas amphitheatre of mr van amberg in the bachelor's acre but there they were fortunately kept at bay by several of mr van amberg's men before they had committed any excesses the knockers bell-handles and brass plates from several doors in the neighbourhood were then wrenched off and the whole party then made for a well-known gambling-house which has been tolerated in this town for upwards of twelve months at number four augusta place where they were immediately admitted what took place there before the row commenced or what was the occasion of the havoc and destruction which almost immediately afterwards ensued i have not been able to ascertain however they had not been there more than half an hour before there was a scene of the greatest confusion throughout the whole house causing alarm and terror from the noise which was created around the entire neighbourhood the police were sent for soon after one o'clock previously to which a portion of the sixtieth rifles who were on guard at the castle had been dispatched to the scene of action and whom the police met on their return to the guard-room upon the superintendent sergeant and several policemen entering the house which they found empty with the exception of one of the gamblers who it appeared had secreted himself they found scarcely one piece of furniture left whole the green baize was torn from the billiard and other tables the doors of the different rooms broken down the windows with the sashes and frames broken to pieces all the lamps smashed chairs and tables dislocated the fanlight over the front door gone and the balustrades upon the stairs torn away at this time the whole of the party had gone off and as for the proprietors of the gaming-house they were glad to effect their escape across the garden into a large piece of wasteland called the Lamas. it was expected that some complaint would have been lodged before the borough magistrates to-day at the town hall but no application was made to the bench on the subject during the hours of business a large brass plate which had been wrenched from a garden gate was found this morning by the police in the infantry barracks where there are sundry knockers and bell-handles awaiting to be identified and returned to their respective owners footnote an action was brought against them at reading and on twenty fourth february eighteen forty three the jury found for the plaintiff against all the defendants and gave one shilling damages for the assault and fifty-five pounds for the injury done to the house and furniture End note. the following incident is very little known and is copied from the salopian journal of three july it is known to many of our readers that the whig radical faction in shrewsbury despairing as the event has proved of winning the election by fair and honest means have resorted to the infamous trick of publishing anonymous slanders against mr disraeli one of the tory candidates he rebutted the slanders so promptly and effectually that at last the opposite party resolved to try the desperate expedient of publishing them with a name attached as a sort of guarantee accordingly a letter repeating these slanders with additions appeared in the shrewsbury chronicle on friday signed by a barrister who had been employed by the radical candidates to manage their part of the contest mr disraeli without any loss of time issued a handbill commenting on conduct which appears to us at once ungentlemanly and unprofessional and plainly designated the barrister's statement as utterly false this handbill appeared early in the forenoon of friday and at an advanced hour of the afternoon a gentleman waited upon mr disraeli with a hostile message from his calumniator he found mr disraeli in company with his lady and communicated that he had business of importance to settle with him a challenge from the barrister was then handed to mr disraeli about an hour afterwards mr jonathan shepherd having learnt that such a transaction had taken place and it is certain that the information had not come from the challenged party waited upon the mayor and upon his information our worthy chief magistrate called upon both parties to enter into recognizance to keep the peace how far mr disraeli would have been justified in meeting a person who had acted as the barrister had acted is a question which need not be discussed here End of chapter fifteen